Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. Thank you, Jesus. And you know what I'm going to do anyways? I'm going to preach. But I'm going to be really fast. Can you say be fast? I, I will, because it's really sunny out there. And we're about to enjoy it. So, so we are going to minister on, uh, on praise. I love praise. Don't you love praise? Praise was awesome today, wasn't it? And I tell you, it's so good to praise the Lord. Something powerful. I want you to get some revelation. Like, like Henry was saying, why do we do church? Now he's getting greater understanding of church and understanding how grace and God's throne and the manifestation of corporate worship and belonging, it has more meaning to it. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a religious, creepy gathering. It's a powerful group of people ready to transform the world. And when you understand why you're gathering, you do it with great purpose and you do it intentionally, you know. So, uh, but worship, praise is something you should do intentionally too. It's not, it's not like a couple songs, a couple cool little things, just a, whoa, that was nice just before the preacher. I mean, there's something powerful happens in praise. And so we want you to understand that and be a part of that. So there was a preacher back you know, years ago. He had a horse and he was selling his horse and he had a guy come to check out the horse. And so he had a potential buyer and he said, look, before I take the horse, I want to take him for a test drive. So we have to understand he's a horse who was kind of raised up in our religious circles. He said, so I have to give you some education on how the horse works. He says, you have to understand that the horse horse trots and moves ahead when you say praise the Lord, and he stops when you say amen. So if you want to get him trotting, you have to say praise the Lord, boom, 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 and you want to start going, whoa, amen, amen. So that's how the horse works. So the guy said, ah, that's no problem, I can do that, boom, gives him a little bump, starts trotting, praise the Lord. A little more praise the Lord. You go, oh, this is good. Praise the Lord. He's got a full-blown gallop going. He says, this is great. Man, this horse is awesome. All of a sudden, he goes, oh, my goodness. He's coming to a cliff. He's looking at this cliff. He's going, man, I got to stop this horse. What was that? What, what was that word I used? Oh, I can't remember what it was. He's going, whoa, easy fellow, whoa. And he went, what is that word? Then all of a sudden he goes, oh, I remember. Amen. Boom. The horse stopped right at the edge. He went, oh, praise the Lord. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yeah, you're trotting right there. All right. All right. Praise the Lord. Now, the Psalms. Now, some people say the Psalms is just like a little hymn book. It's a song book that God planted right in the middle of the Bible. You can just, when you want a song, you just open right in the middle, and you, you got something you can delight in the Lord, and he put all these lovely poems right there in the middle of the Bible. It's just a little hymn book. Well, it's not just a little hymn book. It might be a whole bunch of songs, and it might be that, but it's way more than that. Psalms is not a hymn book. It's a careful arrangement of songs designed to teach God's people the purpose of God. And it was brought together, it was collected and gathered together. When they'd gone into exile in post-exilic period, they gathered all of these psalms. Seventy-three of them are from David. He had Moses had one, Solomon had one, Asaph, I think, had 11. And there's about a third of them, I think about 49, that have no attributed author. But these were gathered on purpose by, by scribes and priests, and they gathered these, and they laid them out specifically, and they laid them in an order to lead people to a revelation and an understanding of the purpose of God. So when you read the Psalms, don't just jump in selectively. 
deeply, but if you look at it and you begin to read from the beginning and go through it, God by his spirit is going to pour revelation in your heart of the eternal purpose of God. So it's very significant when you're reading the Psalms. So it's not just a hymn book, although they are hymns, they are songs. It's designed and they designed it purposefully and skillfully to train people in the ways of God. Now Charles Wesley, John Wesley, they were two brothers and and John would preach and bring incredible words and his brother Charles would take the sermons and turn them into hymns. We sing songs like, and can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? Oh, be to him who death pursued and can it be? Anyway, that's a great song. But you know, they wrote that song from a sermon so that people could learn the song, but while they're learning the song, they're reinforcing in their life sound doctrine. And they would write songs even to refute heresy. When the Unitarianism thing came out and all those things, and, and Jesus was just one of many gods, they, they wrote hymns on purpose to, to express the only God, the deity of Christ alone. And they did that, and they used songs to, to get them in people's spirits. They would learn these songs, and they would learn sound theology. Many times people were illiterate, and they couldn't read, but they could remember songs. And so even in the Old Covenant, they put these hymns, they put these things, they put doctrine, they put the purpose of God in song form so that these people would have this whole large hymn book, yes, but not just a hymn book, a massive singing, teaching guide to the eternal purposes of God. Amen. Amen. All right, so there. All right, so points to the Messiah. It points to Jesus. So the whole thing was pointing to the almighty God, the Father, has a son, and he's going to bring all things together under his headship, that one son. So it begins with an introduction. There's an introduction. Chapter 1 and chapter 2 are, are exclusive outside of and the beginning point of it. And in those Psalms, the first one is meditate on the word of God. Get the word of God. Learn the word of God. Get it in your heart. And the next one was the promise of the Messiah. Get the word and then embrace the promise of it. So it introduces that you're going to get this word in you and the revelation you will get is a revelation of the Messiah. Get a revelation of there is the one who is going to come and set up his throne and set up his dominion. So that's Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. Psalm 2, 12, it says, submit to God's royal son. Isn't that great? See, in the Psalms, you can see Jesus all over the Psalms. And that's this Jesus trip is all about seeing Jesus everywhere. But everywhere in the Psalms, you're going to see these prophetic declarations of Jesus. Right there in the introduction, Psalm 2.12. Here's what we want you to do. We want you to submit to God's royal son. We want you to get a revelation of him. We want you to come under his authority. We want you to manifest his messianic rule and his kingdom. All right, hit me with another slide there. So it ends with the conclusion and set apart are five psalms at the end. And these five psalms are set apart. And in these five psalms, it is a conclusion. And one of the verses in the conclusion, and he has exalted the horn. He has exalted the horn of his people, the praise of all the saints. Now the horn is a, it's a metaphor. It's a, a typical of Jesus. The horn, Psalm 32, 17, there I will make the horn of David grow. Jesus, the son of David, the horn, there 
I will make the horn of David grow. I will prepare a lamp for my anointed one. So that horn, the horn is a ram's horn. It's a declaration of victory, and it's speaking of the Messiah. So we see at the beginning, meditate on the word, get a revelation of the son, and in the end, God has exalted that horn. He has brought that manifestation. He's brought the Messiah into manifestation. Praise the Lord. Let everybody, let all the saints rejoice, because what God promised he would do, he's going to bring it to a flourishing conclusion. And that's the Psalms. And then sandwiched in the middle of that, you got five books. You got five books in the middle of it, and every one of those psalms ends in a doxology. Every one of the psalms, and here's the end of book one. Book one ends at Psalm 41, 13. It says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. And every one of the five books, every one of them ends with that doxology and that statement. Now, basically, everything in between is made up of two types of songs. Number one, a lament. Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, oh, God, where are you? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all my fears. So you're going to find laments. And in the first three books, there's lots of laments. There's laments and praises, laments and praises. But when you transition into the fourth and the fifth, it moves to predominantly praise because you're moving now toward the fulfillment of the coming and the establishment of the reign of King Jesus and the manifestation of his presence. So that's where you're going to go on a journey in Psalms. That's what you're going to experience. So you're going to experience those two types of songs. Oh, God, help me. And then just those glorious declarations of a wonderful God. Amen. I just taught you the whole book of Psalms in a few minutes. Just say thank you. All right. You're welcome. All right, so let's look at Psalm 22. This is a beautiful psalm. I mean, I could pull out so many psalms. Psalm 103, Psalm 22, Psalm 91. There's so many psalms with such incredible messianic purpose. But Psalm 22, if you read Psalm 22, you will see the ministry of Christ. You will see the cross. You will see the things he said on the cross. You will see what he spoke. You will see that Psalm 22 is a a declaration of the ministry of Christ. It's incredible how a psalm was written, and yet that psalm was completely worked worked out hundreds of years later. Every detail of that psalm came in the manifestation. Somebody wrote it as a beautiful psalm, and yet it was a prophetic declaration of the life, of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. So much beautiful stuff in the psalms about Jesus. But here's how it ended. It says, posterity, all generations will serve him. Here's how the psalm wraps up. All generations will serve him. They will tell of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet unborn. He said, he has done it. It is finished. He has done it. Oh, it's so good. So, I mean, the Psalms are so much fun to read. I tell you, I've been reading this week. That's why I said, let's just have somebody read the Psalms because just reading the Psalms impacts your life, right? Man, I was so jacked up today. I couldn't wait to praise the Lord because I've been reading all this and praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And man, I was stirred up to praise him. You? Oh, praise the Lord, I'll tell you. So let's talk a little bit about what praise is all about, what's going on. Martin Luther, he said this. I got a part of the quote up there, but Martin Luther said, when man's natural ability is wetted and polished to the extent that it becomes art, then do we note with great surprise the great and perfect wisdom of God in music, which is, after all, his product and his gift. We marvel when we hear music in which one voice sings a simple melody while three or four or five other voices play. 
away and trip lustily around the voice that sings its simple melody and adorn the simple melody wonderfully with artistic musical effects, thus reminding us of a heavenly dance where all meet in a spirit of friendliness and caress and embrace. A person who gives this some thought and yet does not regard it, music, as a marvelous creation of God must be a clodhopper. Let me read that again. Must be a clodhopper. <laughs> Just use that in a sentence this week somewhere. Just be nice, all right? Must be a clodhopper indeed and does not deserve to be called a human being. Man, Martin Luther was harsh, wasn't he? He said, if you don't get the power in praise, you don't get the power in why God has created music and its beauty, you're a clodhopper. I like to show up at church later after the loud singing is done. Anyways, fill in the blank. So he should be permitted to hear nothing but the braying of asses and the grunting of hogs. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Okay, so Martin Luther also said this, the devil takes flight at the sound of music, just as he does at the words of theology. After theology, I give the highest place and greatest honor to music. John Wesley said, sing lustily and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep. We should just make this a confession before every service, you know? Beware of singing as if you were half dead. Uh, praise the Lord. <laughs> Hands like this means somebody's alive. Hands like this means somebody died. That's what they do with flags, right? When the flag's at half-mast, it's because we're... Don't be a half-mast worshiper, right? <laughs> Okay. Sing lustily and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you're half dead or half asleep. But lift up your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of your voice now, nor more ashamed of it if it's being heard than when you sung the songs of Satan. Was that uh, my Frankie? What's her favorite song? It's, uh, was that guy, lady's name, uh, Taylor Swift? Shake it off, that's right. We got, uh, we got uh, Alexa in the house, right? So when Frankie comes over, she goes, Alexa, shake it off. And then she goes, shake, shake, shake it off. Shake, shake. <laughs> but you know, she sings the God songs really passionately too. So <laughs> When you get more excited, it says, don't lift up your soul to vanity. Who ascends the mountain of the Lord? It says, those who don't lift up their soul to vanity. I mean, if you sing shake it off better than you sing how great thou art, you got a problem. Hello. Okay, sorry, I just threw that out there. No, I'm not really not sorry. <laughs> Anyways, but Psalm 81, verse 2, sing, beat the tambourine. We hit all the tambourines because some of you can't beat on time, and it confuses the worship team. You know, it's like, hey. I mean, it doesn't say play it. It says beat it. I mean, be beat it. Be, beat it. Beat the tambourine, play the sweet lyre in the harp. Psalm 104, 33, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will praise my God to my last breath. Yeah. Let everything that has breath sing praises to the Lord. Praise the Lord. 
four things. We got to sing. Come on, sing. Who do I sing to? Sing first of all to God. God, listen, this is amazing. I woke up at 4.30 yesterday morning, and I woke up, and I went, that's really annoying. It's 4.30. And I thought, I'm just going to roll over and go back to bed. And all of a sudden, the Lord said, stop. Come here. I want to talk to you. I was like, oh, my goodness. It's a Lord moment. And uh, so I did. And you know what he said to me? Here's what he said to me. He said, I'm not in control. I'm in love. I just went, what? It's 4.30. He said, I'm not in control. I'm in love. I went, wow. And I said, that's amazing because I think most of us think you are in control. And I think we think that that's an amazing attribute about God is in control. He says, I'm not. He said, I'm in love. And it's very different. When you think about it, if you had a friend who was dating somebody who was incredibly controlling, you'd tell them to run. You'd say, oh, yeah, you want to stay? That's weird. That is a creepy relationship. That person wants to control you and dominate you. And I thought, God, I, I, I know a lot of people who would like to say, God is sovereign. He is in control. And you telling me that you're not in control? You said, I'm not. There's a lot of things I have nothing to do with. There's a lot of things go on that I'm not even involved in. But I tell you what, if you open up your heart, I am in love with you. I'll never control you. I'll never manipulate you. But I will always love you, love you, love you. That really touched me. I mean, I meditated on that uh, when my wife finally woke up at about nine. No, just kidding. (laughs) When she woke up, I said, you know, she said, where'd you go? You woke up early. I said, I did. And God spoke to me. He said, I'm not in control, Carl. I'm in love. He said, it's very different. I went, that's so good. But you know know why I sing to God? Because he's in love with me. And I sing to God because of his, look what it says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. I sing because he loves me. I sing to him because he's wonderful. I sing to him for all the wonderful things he's done. But the greatest thing I appreciate is that the most significant person who exists is absolutely nuts about me. And I will sing of your unfailing love forever. Sing to God, sing to God, sing with gratitude about, you know, when, you, when you're grateful, when you appreciate something, it appreciates. And if you sing to God, you appreciate him. His, his purpose, all that he is in your life, that appreciation, that value is just going to expand in your heart. He can't get any more valuable than he is, but your revelation of it will increase more and more and more. Psalm 104, verse 1, let all that I am praise the Lord. Oh, Lord, my God, how great are you? Isn't it great when you sing, Great! Are you, I mean, doesn't that do something when you say those words? Something shifts, something changes when you declare and you sing to God that he is great. Things are moving, things are shaking. You are robed with honor and majesty. I mean, make so much of God. I I love songs that make God bigger. Not that I could, but I just want to, I want to do that. I love where it says, come, 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 let's magnify the Lord together. It's not like we can make God bigger, but we're just going to, we're going to cause his influence in our hearts, our lives, and in this room. We're going to make his influence bigger. Not because, you know, we have to make him bigger, but we need to recognize how incredibly great and awesome he is.
Let's magnify God. Sing to God. Sing to God. Psalm 5710, for your unfailing love is as high as the heavens and your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. You sing about his attributes. You sing to him. You declare back to him how wonderful and awesome he is. Psalm 5916, for us, for me, I will sing about your power. Each morning, I will sing with joy about your unfailing love. For you have been my refuge and a place of safety when I am in distress. What are you going to do every day? I'm going to sing about his power. What am I going to do as soon as my eyes open? I'm going to declare his unfailing love. Yes! Please, please settle down. Sing to God. Sing to yourself. Sing to yourself. Sing to yourself. I love David because he's, why am I so discouraged? I mean, he wrote a song about himself. Why am I so downcast? Why, why is this? Why am I so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. So you know, even when you're sad, sing in your sadness. Speak to yourself. Sing a song over the glum situation and sing yourself out of the mess. Sometimes you got to sing to yourself. Praise, I love, the NLT, I think they've changed the translation because the one we have now doesn't have it translated this way, but my first NLT Bible said this, and I used to like it because of the way they translated it. Praise the Lord, I tell myself. Do you know who speaks to you more than anybody else in the whole world? You. And if you got miserable self-talk, you got a miserable life. you got to have really good self-talk, but praise the Lord, I tell myself. Now, if you're not feeling good, praise the Lord. Tell yourself to praise the Lord. Oh, Lord, my God, how great you are. Praise the Lord, I tell myself. You got to stir yourself up and shake yourself out of that stuff. Amen. So speak to yourself. Sing to yourself. Psalm 50, verse 23, out of the Amplified, it says, He who brings an offering of praise and thanksgiving honors and glorifies me, and he who orders his way aright, they prepare. When you, when you align yourself with the revelation of who he is, you prepare the way that I might show you, that I might demonstrate to you the salvation of God. So when you're singing over yourself, when you're aligning yourself with who he is, you're aligning yourself with the nature of God. Just like we sang that song, praise is a highway. You are literally constructing that path. You are establishing yourself in a place where you're aligning yourself for God's favor, his promises, and his goodnesses. His goodnesses. I just made that word up. His goodnesses. <laughs> his goodnesses to flow into your life. Amen. Come on, goodness. I want goodnesses. Amen. Come on, bring me some goodnesses. All right, so, so that you sing to yourself, you know, and that changes you. I, I don't have time to prove to you, but I could show you all kinds of places where songs and exalting God, it physically brings healing to your body. It literally, you singing can, can, can align your cells. It can realign you to the purpose of God, and you can cause physical healing in your body mentally. You know, singing makes you smart. You know, Albert Einstein, they said whenever he ran into a problem, he would grab his violin and just start to play, and he would sing, and then he'd go, oh, I got it. You know, there's something about music. There's something about that, literally, that can make you smart. It'll align things and establish things. And this is a beautiful thing that God's given, and it'll also cause an emotional shift, a shift of attitude in your life. You can change your whole world when you sing. And you got to sing to yourself sometimes. You got to tell yourself, cheer up over here. Speak to yourself, amen? And if you don't speak to yourself, get some friends that you can call. Say, I'm feeling miserable. Cheer up, I say. Amen. Get some cheer up, friends. Who do you call? Who do you need to cheer up? All right, number three, sing to others. Sing to others. Psalm 22, 3. He inhabits the praises of his people. He doesn't inhabit the praises of a person, but he inhabits the praises of his people. 
You know, when we gather, that's why I love when I'm standing here and we just we just did all of that praise and all that stuff. All of a sudden, going, man, we are really standing and so focused on the throne of grace. Let's get some stuff. It says, set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. So it doesn't say set your mind on Christ. It says set your mind on things. It says, you know, do you know where Christ is seated? Do you know where he's seated? Where Christ is seated, there's stuff. And where he is seated, set your mind on the stuff. Oh, I'm not looking for stuff, Pastor. I'm just looking for Jesus. Well, the Bible tells you to seek those things which are above where Christ is seated. So if you're just saying, I don't want anything. I just want you. I just want you. He says, yeah, awesome. You've got me. I chose you. We're connected. Now look at all the stuff. Because he who gave his own son for you, how much more along with him will he not give you all things? And you know why sometimes people don't have it? Because they don't take it. You can have whatever you take, but you got to set it. So when you get into that corporate worship, it's like you establish the throne of God. And you know what's in the throne of God? Grace. The throne of God, the substance of his throne. What's your throne made of, Father? It's the throne of grace. It's a place where you come and you get unmerited favor and blessing that flows from God. There's stuff in the throne room, things you need that you can only find in the throne room. And God commands you, he speaks, he says, come, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. He inhabits the praise of people, Colossians 3, 13. Here's what even, even Paul, even Paul is writing, and he's saying, look, we're going to teach. See the Psalms. Paul knew the Psalms. He memorized the whole thing. He knew that the Psalms were written to teach you about the Messiah. So even in the New Covenant, when he was getting new revelation in a new covenant, he began to say, teach each other. And how are you going to teach each other? Teach each other and admonish one another with what? With Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing. Teach each other with seminars. Teach each other with, with long, drawn-out Bible studies. Teach each other. Paul says, teach and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody. That's why our songs need to be right. That's where sometimes I get a song, and it's a nice song, but I say to George, could we change a couple words in that? Because the problem with that song is, is that those songs that say, oh God, would you please come? And I'm like, but he is here. So the problem with that song for me is that I'm reinforcing distance, like I'm over here and God's over there, and when will he meet me? So sometimes we sing songs that actually reinforce in our lives bad doctrine. And so we got to be careful because it says, teach and admonish one another with psalms and hymns. You know what? You're more likely to remember a song you sang today than you are my sermon, <laughs> sadly. And that's really, really sad. So from now on, I'm going to sing my sermons every week. I'm going to declare the word of God with song. And you're going to walk out and go, that was annoying. Okay. So. <laughs> In Nova Scotia, Nova Scotia, had a, a guy playing a keyboard. They introduced me to speak, guy playing a keyboard. I said, good evening, everybody. My name is D. Carl Thomas. I'm going to preach the word to you tonight. He kept playing. I got stuck. I sang the whole sermon. And then I prophesied in song over 200 people. And then I was afraid I'm not going to stop singing. I'm never going to stop singing. I was like, oh, my Lord. And it was a little bit of a sign and a wonder because I went, I thought I could be stuck. I could be stuck. But I'm not going to do that unless the Lord leads. I'm feeling. No. Okay. Okay. 
Sing to one another. Sing. Because your song impacts others. That's what it says. Teach one another. Admonish one another. Bless one another with songs. It's beautiful when face to face. I mean, me, I like it when the worship team, you know, they, they, they tone down a little bit. And then I'm standing here. You know what I'm hearing? I'm hearing your voices. Instead of hearing stuff coming out of the speaker, I'm actually hearing your voices. But I'm going, oh, my God, they're all singing. They're singing, great are you, God. And, and man, don't you get stirred up when you can hear each other's voices? Like when you're face to face, Brian, go, praise the Lord. <laughs> There's something about that. Isn't there? Isn't it? Isn't it? All right, let's go to number four. Number four is, uh, oh, sorry, go back to that one. Just uh, And so it was whenever the Spirit of God came upon Saul. It was an evil spirit came on Saul. It says that David would come play his harp, and when he played his harp, Saul would become refreshed, he would become well, and he'd get delivered to that demon. So David had an anointing to sing, and when he sang, there was a breakthrough. And you know what? When we sing, that same principle is released, and people's lives get set free. Number four. Number four, sing to creation. You know, our singing goes way beyond this room. And I was feeling like today, our singing was going way beyond here and shifting things even in this city. I mean, I was sitting there going, I was seeing thrones and dominions, things that are blocking up people's minds to, to hinder Christ being revealed. I was seeing things shaking out of this city. I was seeing the goodness of God rushing in. I was seeing rivers of glory. And it's so powerful. And it's absolutely true. It's, when you know that that's what you're doing, boy, we would sing more, wouldn't we? And with all our hearts. You know, not dopey and sleepy like a clod hopper. So good. Such a great word. Amen. Say it with me. Claude Hopper. Now turn to your neighbor and say, don't be a Claude Hopper. Okay, good. That was, went to church. I got edified. Amen. Sing to creation. Now when you're singing in an over creation, you are exercising government. It's an exercise in governing. Psalm 60 verse 7 says, Judah is my scepter. Judah is my scepter. Amen. Judah is my scepter. Psalm 108 verse 8 says, Judah is my scepter. Judah is my scepter. It's where I exercise. It's where I release my rule. Psalm 8 2 says, through the praise of children and infants, I have established or I have ordained that through children and infants, I've, I've ordained it from, from day one when you're born, you were created to sing praises to God. And I've established it because through that vehicle, I am going to Silence the foe and the avenger. We're shutting some stuff down. We're telling some stuff not anymore. We're declaring, we are governing where we are. When we sing, when we praise God, we're exercising the government of heaven. When we sing praise to God, the scepter of his authority and power is being released over a region and things are shifting. Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! Not gonna be a clod hopper in the house. Oh, not gonna be a clod hopper in the house. Silence the Avenger. Give me another slide. We're moving. Psalm 149. Wayne read that one this morning. Look, let the high praises of God, the, the highest T E, T, T, say T. Tuh, tuh. Now say hila. All right, praises is hila or hilal. So you put the t in front of the hila and you got tahila. 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 That's the word for high praises right there. You get tahila on your mouth. 
You get tehillah on your mouth. What is that? It's a two-edged sword in your hand, and you execute vengeance. We're not, we're not judging the nations. We're judging whatever is hindering the revelation of Christ. We're not judging peoples. We're releasing peoples. We're not coming against peoples. Our, our fight, our struggle isn't against flesh and blood. But when we do that, we are binding kings. We are binding those other smaller G gods that are trying to establish their reign, and we have been released to enforce the finished work of the cross there is only one king. He is King Jesus. Everything else must bow the knee. You know, when we do that, we're binding kings. We're binding nobles. We're executing the judgment that's already written. There is a judgment already written. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the reigning king of glory. Jesus has won it all. He's finished it all. And we get to declare it is our honor. It is my privilege to declare to you every fallen, dark prince and every fallen thing that tries to establish and resist the kingdom of God. I am here and it is my honor and privilege to announce that you have to go in the name of Jesus. Wowzers. Please settle down. I'm trying to finish. Amen. And you know why you're doing this. You're going to do it with everything in you. You know, like David, eh? he shows up and there's some guy down there, oh, Israel, send down somebody, I'll kill him. David gets up there, he goes, oh, who's that loudmouth? What's he defying our God for? Then David said, what do I get for killing him? <laughs> David's like, what's in it for me? Well, you know, they said you get the king's daughter. You don't, really? I mean, this is a no-brainer. He runs down there with a slingshot and takes the guy out. When you know who you are, and you know the authority you're walking in. Opportunities like that, you go, I can't believe nobody else showed up for this. Woo! Came to bring some pizzas to get my brother off the front line, and I got a chance to honor the name of Jesus. Oh, 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 oh. Sorry, I just exciting myself. Hallelujah. It doesn't make you want to say hallelujah. Okay, let's go, Pastor. Let's go. Okay, faster, Pastor. Psalm 110, verse 2. The Lord will send forth from Zion the scepter of your strength. Then you will rule in the midst of your foes. Study it out everywhere. Go to Hebrews. Look at the new covenant. Come through the filter of the cross. What is Zion? What is Mount Zion? Mount Zion is the church. Say church. It's the church. Where is his rule going to be exercised from? From the heavens. No, it's exercised from the church. The scepter goes out of Zion. What is the scepter? The scepter is, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Praise. It says, what is the scepter? It says, Judah is the lawgiver. Judah is the scepter. Praises are my scepter. And where is that scepter always going to be established from? He's always going to reign through the church. And he has to. If he decided to bypass the church, he would bypass his own revelation. And he can't do that. The whole thing would implode and fall apart. God has limited himself to a body that's been created for him. Jesus said, a body is prepared for me. And through that body, he's going to reveal his power in the earth. And if we understand that, how, how do we rule, pastor? The scepter is praise. 
the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, when until Shiloh. What is Shiloh a type of? Shiloh, it has a capital S, not because it's a city, although it is a place. It has a capital there because Shiloh is a prophetic representation of Jesus. So praise is always going to be the way that God executes judgment over all of his enemies, in and through where? The body of Christ. Out of Zion, the scepter will go, and that's how he's going to do it. How's he going to do it? He's going to do it continuously, and it will not stop until the return of Jesus. The church is always going to be that vehicle, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Can I get an amen? A couple more verses, just a couple. Isaiah 30, 29 and 32. You shall have a song. Turn your neighbor and say, you shall have a song. You shall have a song as in the night when the holy festival is kept, and gladness of heart as one goes with the flute, dot, dot, dot. Skip a little bit for you. But the Lord will cause his glorious voice to be heard, and he will show the descent of his arm. Now what he's saying is you'll have a song, you will sing, you will sing joyfully, and when you do that, the Lord is going to release his strong arm. The Lord is going to release his power. When you start to sing, you're going to activate the heavenly realm. When you start to sing God, God is going to be moved. When you start to sing, the Lord will cause his glorious voice to be heard. And here's what it says. And he will show the descent of his arm. He's going to speak and he's going to move powerfully on your behalf. And he's going to do that. And look what it says, though. What is going to happen? It's going to be accompanied with what? It's going to be accompanied with tambourines and harps. It's going to be that, and in the battle of the brandishing, he will fight with it. So what's God going to do? When you got a problem, you sing, and when you sing, God will speak and bear his arm, and how is he going to do it? He's going to do it accompanied with da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-